Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We should have been preparing for the final match of the season, which no doubt would have been a nice and easy away win against a dethroned Manchester City team looking forward to their summer holidays to seal survival. But we'll never know. Uh, who knows? It might still happen. I'm your host, Dave Freezer, also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM on Wednesday nights. Alongside Chris Dakey, and this week we're joined by the World Wide Web by City fans Terry Westgate and Andrew Lorne. We'll be discussing all the latest news on Project Restart after the government confirmed on Monday that sport could potentially return without spectators in June and much more. But first, we bring you some very welcome good news which is that the one and only Paddy Davitt, our group football editor and Norwich City writer of over 10 years, you may have noticed wasn't with us on the pod last week, has become a father for the first time. Uh, there'll be another little lad wearing a Coventry City shirt with Davitt on the back in the next few years, or who knows, <laughs> maybe he'll even want a Norwich shirt. So a big congratulations to Paddy and his wife. Nice to have a bit of positive news to kick off with. Lorne, Terry, welcome to you first. Thanks very much for joining us this week. A, a few quick fire questions just to sort of let the uh, listeners get to know you. Terry, if I come to you first, where, whereabouts in Cairo do you normally sit when we're back in normal life? Oh, it seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, I'm Lower Barclay, Block D, back row. There we go. And do you remember your, your first game? My first game? game it was a league cup match against Watford in September 1990 um I don't really remember much about the game but while I was there they were selling tickets for the upcoming match against Liverpool so I bought yeah. a ticket for that and that was a very memorable game and that's the game that made me a Norwich City fan Nice. So well, we talked about first games a bit last week. Mine was a nil-nil against Swindon. So it doesn't have to be good does it, to get to get, no. to get you the bug. Um, and uh, you're still here. Well done. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one. I think everyone will know the answer to this one with you, Terry, for your social media updates. But who is your favourite current player in the squad? Well, of course, it's the, the big man himself, Christoph Zimmerman. Absolutely. I think you're one of the founding members of the Zimbo Appreciation Society, aren't you? I, I claim to be so, yes. Nobody's def- nobody's countered that claim, so I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> Top stuff. Uh, Lorne, uh, you guys will probably recognise Lorne from the Aluncom Norwich podcast and all the great work that you guys have done. Um, where do you sit in the ground, Lorne? So I sit very near Terry, actually, because Terry helps us put the flags out before every game. Ah, of so course. I sit just a few seats along from, from Terry in the Lower Bartley. Yeah, I bumped into you both at the Youth Cup game, wasn't it? Um, I saw Terry putting out the flags then. Uh, Do you remember your first game? My the first game that I know I definitely went to was Reading Reserves. That was the first one that I was actually taken to as a fan because my dad is a steward, so we could go to that as fans rather than him just taking me and me sitting in the turnstile with him. The first game that the first proper game that I really remember was I think it was Leeds in the Premier League the ninety two ninety three season. It's the first game that I really really remember watching and and knowing what was happening. Nice. Um, and your favourite current player? Well, I I like Terry Christoph Zimmerman. I've actually got my <laughs> Christoph Zimmerman appreciation T shirt on. <laughs> there right we now. go. So uh, hey. I'd have to say Zimmerman. Um, yeah, Zimmerman. Get He's the merch in nice lovely. and early. <laughs> he is, he is. I think that's what um, we talked about this a bit in the pod last year is that he wasn't the captain, but he sort of felt like he was the fans captain, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think we're really lucky at the moment to have a squad of players that are just really likeable. 
So uh, Tim Krull would go in there, Ben Godfrey would go in there, Max Ahrens would go in there, Teddy would go in there. We've just got so many likeable people that for me that's much, much more important as to whether or not I like them whether compared to whether or not they're a good footballer. Like it. Uh, yeah, he put out the, um, he wrote an open letter to fans what, a month or so ago, didn't he? So that sort of um, sums him up. And, and of course, he's been, well, you know, a lot of the players have been doing stuff. I mean, some of them are obviously uh, overseas at the moment. But, you know, I was talking to Sam Byron the other day about ringing round fans. And um, Zimbo's been one of the players dropping off food and stuff like that. So that we'll come on to that stuff a little bit later. But let's get into the Project Restart stuff, the serious stuff. And it felt like, Monday was the first time we got a bit of certainty almost. Last week we talked about this sort of vacuum that had been created by the, the lack of answers, the lack of public knowledge being put out there by the Premier League. But Chris, we, we finally took a bit of a step forward yesterday thanks to the, the government sort of kicking us off on a potential start next month, didn't we? Yeah, I think there's an awful lot of chain reaction stuff going on and, and we've sort of been in the wrong part of the chain, if you like. The Premier League couldn't really do much until government gave them the ball and said, right, you can now run with it. Um, and of course, that situation will now filter down through uh, the Championship Leagues 1 and 2 and the National League. So the, the we got a little bit out of sync. So on a Monday morning, we were used to stand by your beds, there's going to be some news, um, to Monday afternoon saying, oh, as you were. But yeah, this was a quite a bit of a breakthrough, I, I think, after the government had announced the sort of June 1st date. Um, to me, the big story was neutral grounds. I know there were other things that were discussed, but the fact that <laughs> Norwich had been sort of mentioned in this gang of six clubs that were uh, angry or annoyed or whatever at the use of neutral grounds and the idea that games should be uh, uh, played a neutral stadia because um, Norwich have never actually said anything publicly about that but you know, guess um, I think they've done right to keep quiet frankly as well because some of the, the stuff that's been thrown around has been a bit iffy Anyway, well, It's like a fictional this... gang of six though isn't it, it's like the, yeah, it the tabloids have created this story from start to end and now they've almost finished it, it's never it's... entered reality it's a, a slur and an accusation that if you're bottom of the table, you therefore want to do everything you can to survive in the Premier League by hook or by crook. Well, you only have to listen to what Daniel Farker said the other day. He said, we'd love a chance to achieve our little miracle out on the pitch. Well, you don't get much clearer than that. Mm. You know, he didn't want to stay in the Premier League by hook or by crook. He wanted to stay there with his players proven that they're good enough for it. Um, so, yeah, there was this notional gang of three, gang of six, whatever, and some came out, some didn't. Anyway, it seems, depending on reports, there were six or more people uh, against, uh, clubs against uh, the use of neutral grounds. I read one report this morning uh, that said there was only one club that actually was for neutral grounds. Um, I guess that's Crystal Palace because nobody wanted to go to Crystal Palace in the right line. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so you know, neutral grounds, the, 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 the possibility of, the, of, of playing your home games at your own ground is now going to be put to the government. Um, quite right, I think. But I, I sort of understand the theory behind neutral grounds. Um, I sort of trying to imagine this scenario of Norwich playing a game behind closed doors at Carrow Road. And what you would need to prevent fans from congregating outside. 
And whilst we all say, no, nah, we wouldn't do that, we'd be good people. I know people who will congregate, even one or two of them. They will be there, I know, because, you know, they're fans who go to every game. And even if they can't get it, they'll get into the game, they'll go. So I sort of see the issues there, but I couldn't see Carrow being a major problem outside, could you, you know, for fans congregating? I wouldn't have thought so. The big one's got to be Liverpool. That's got to be the concern, isn't it? You know, if they win the title, um, a, a big city with a lot of tightly packed housing, then, you know, how do you keep people away? I, I would have thought, you know, unless I suppose if Norwich do pull off a miraculous uh, surge to survival, then uh, there might be some people. I, I think people on the whole would be, would be sensible about that. I think you just don't tell the general public the results. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so nobody turns up at Carrow Road on the fo- or or, or um, at Manchester City on the final day to yeah. win to survive. But yeah, good I, luck I, with that. That was the big thing for me anyway. Neutral grounds, it really was. Um, uh, there's a lot of things lurking in the background. The the, the uh, broadcasting money's one. That is a very interesting one. And of course, health, health and safety. And I'm no doctor. I haven't done the Hippocratic oath. I don't know how bad. It needs to be before football says no. Um, I think uh, Danny Rose this morning. Sorry, I've got cat issues here. I think Danny Rose this morning has has, has come out with uh, some rather strong language about it. Um, you know, while uh, we're in three figures of people dying, is it safe yeah. to play football? Well, um, we'll come back to the health issue in just just a bit, but um, just to sort of take it a, a little bit step by step. Then, so so hopefully, neutral grounds is kicked into the long grass. Richard Masters, who's the Premier League chief exec as well, said that scrapping relegation was never on the table, never something they discussed. Uh, and you had the Watford chief exec come out over the weekend with some some very strong stuff. So let's just caveat this all with the government announcement on Monday was that they would be able to enter in step two of their recovery plan if the R rate, the reproduction rate, remains below one which means they'll be able to move into this next phase where sport could potentially return behind closed doors. So it's still not certain at the moment. But, Lorne and Terry, I'll come, come to you both on this one. What we subsequently had was Norwich coming out and announcing refunds for the 2019-20 games, knowing that although we, it's still not written in stone that, the, that it even definitely will return, um, or that it will definitely be behind closed doors because that that still isn't 100% certain. But Norwich seem to be getting um, good good noises from fans so far in deciding to get this in place now. Terry, were you pleased to see that? Um, I I was a little bit sad because I kind of thought that's actually confirming the fact that I'm not going to be going mm. to a football match for a long time. Um, I think the club are going the right way about it. I mean, obviously, if you're a season ticket holder like myself, we've already paid for this season. And in fact, we've started paying for next season. Yeah. So you can understand that obviously the club need to make a decision. We now know that if football comes back in June, it's going to be behind closed doors. So when is we actually going to have matches with supporters present? I mean, God knows. Some people are saying August, September, but we really don't know at this point because just because of the scale of the numbers who are at stadiums. So I think it's fair. I don't think the club can hold on to that money because they know for a fact that there aren't going to be matches played in front of supporters for the next few months. They've gone the right way about it. And I think generally the fans are quite happy about that. Yeah, the in that government advice that came out in the guidelines, I mean, obviously it was far broader than talking about football and sport. In fact, sport was only mentioned in that 50-page document twice. Um, but the phrasing in there was that 
for large crowds to start attending venues at things like uh, sport, uh, quoting here, um, may only be fully possible significantly later, depending on the reduction in numbers of infections. So that is something that, yeah, we're going to have to very much park for now. But Terry's mentioned it there, Lorne, that the direct debit scheme, which is about 14,000 Norwich's season ticket holders um, use, that started for next season, as it does every year um, in at the end of March. So that's already in place. But I think people have just got to give the club a bit of leeway here, haven't they? Aside from all their financial challenges they've got at the moment, none of us know what's going on with next season, let alone this season yet, do we? Yeah, absolutely. I think the club are handling it the right way in terms of we do now know that there aren't going to be any matches that fans can attend this season. So it's right to offer people the rebate. I'm sure they'll they'll be offered the chance to not take it and donate it back to the club. Um, and I can see why they would still be taking direct debit for next season, because at the moment, optimism says that we might be playing football again next season. But just to go back to Project Restart a little bit, like the whole thing about behind closed doors for me is a complete and utter farce, because there's two reasons for that. One, behind closed doors suggests that the only people who are going to get sick from this are supporters and that isn't the case players can get sick as well and as we've seen in Germany you only need one or two players in a squad to get to get COVID and that entire squad has to isolate and that puts you another two weeks behind so this season for me can't it just can't finish because people will get sick so that would be the first point about behind closed doors the second thing about behind closed doors is without the fans there what is the point like if the point is just to put the games on TV, they're not going to be worth watching because there's no atmosphere. So for me, there's literally no point in talking about the rest of this season because it can't happen from health point of views. And if it could happen, then it's not worth happening until fans go back anyway. So for me, it's a complete non-starter and it's been a complete farce. And I would just, if I was in charge, I would null and void it. I would start next season uh, when possible as completely as we had this season. So every team stays in the same position, uh, same league. You have the same fixtures, even the same European qualifiers. And you just start from scratch. And that is harsh on Liverpool. They absolutely deserve to be champions. But there's there's literally no other way around it that isn't unfair on someone. And this, for me, would be the fairest way to do it. I did see one suggestion that said start next season from scratch, but start everyone on the points that they finished this season on so for example you start the season and Norwich have zero and then I think it's Aston Villa above us have four and so on so you start next season and play 38 games but you retain that sense of what was achieved this season still counts for something but yeah for me it's it's a complete farce. That's an uh, an interesting way of looking at it um I think I think we're almost seeing football is almost society in a smaller form isn't it in terms of we know the main motivation really is because of the huge financial impact on the game and that we could literally see clubs going out of business. So, and, and you can kind of expand that to wider society in every country, can't you? At, at what point is the, the sort of the tipping point where lockdown and, you know, putting health first, then tip over to wider societal problems because of huge financial sort of crushing issues, which are then going to start creating more deaths and, and, and huge problems as a knock-on effect so I guess we're seeing that in, in a smaller way Chris aren't we in in, in football in that at some point I mean I, I personally think that they should just bump it back to July now and that, that would buy buy them a little bit of grace with the wider public anyway because June still feels a bit too early but maybe by July 
if things in wider society have calmed down a little bit, you know, that R rate is staying low, the government are pushing ahead with their recovery plans, there might just be a little bit more will from people to accept that, uh, you know, what a month of football could potentially be played. But there's always going to be a risk, isn't there? Yeah, I think um, the answer uh, there, particularly to Andrew's points, which are, are brilliant, is what Boris Johnson said. Boris Johnson said, effectively, football can come back so it can sort its broadcasting problems out, i.e. money. And he said morale as well, didn't he? Well, you know, not everybody's a football fan. And frankly, if you support certain teams, I ain't going to boost your morale if they go out and lose behind <laughs> closed doors. You know, if you're a Liverpool fan, it might do. But really, I, I don't think that. I think what would boost my morale would to see the figures go to zero. I'd be well chuffed. I'd like to go over and uh, have my birthday dinner. Um, I'd like to do all sorts of things. That would boost my morale. Football behind closed doors wouldn't. I do understand why they want to get it done. And, and I do think that is simply, I mean, there are two strands. The financial strand is 90% of it. The other strand I hate the thought of is that one of the options or alternatives might be scrap the season. That, to me, is a complete no-no. You do decide something, you can get your calculator out and work it that way. You know, these are extraordinary times, but don't scrap the previous 29, whatever it is, games they've played. That's, that's ridiculous. Come up with some sort of solution for finishing the season. They're trying to do it behind closed doors so they, they don't have to pay great big bills to the broadcasters. Um that, that's it in, in a nutshell to me. It's quite societal, that, because it's greed. Mm. You know? So uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a, I'm not comfortable. I, I'm not at all comfortable with it coming back, much as I'm desperate to see football back. Wouldn't we all love it? But, you know, you and Terry probably won't be able to sit so close to each other in the Barclay. <laughs> you know, you'll probably have 10 seats between each other. Um, I don't know. I don't that's, know. No, that's, that's, kind of... that's the thing. Nobody knows. I mean, no. every time we talk about it, we're experts because, yeah. you know, we're on the same level as, as everyone else. We don't know. But yeah, there, is, there is a bit of patience needed, isn't there? Like, we, there's a lot of social media stuff, which is quite dramatic. I think some people are reveling in the drama of the situation to a certain extent. But the um, That's what social media is for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but we're not medical experts. I will come on to something a little bit like that. But just to carry on your point, Chris, about the broadcasters, um, they so we were initially talking about that if if the season was cancelled, that there could be rebates of up to I think it was 762 million that the clubs would owe, and now the reports seem to be switching to that they would still be owed 350 million, which I can't quite get my head round because <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, if the football comes back, then the broadcasters are going to get to show more games than they ever have done before, whenever they want to, to a far bigger audience. So that's one that I'm, I'm yet to have um, uh, to see sort of fully explained. But to, to bring it well, back to, to Norwich City, and, and, and I'll come to you on this, Terry. Um, when we spoke to the chief, uh, the executive committee the other week, um, Ben Kensel had told us that it was about uh, every home game is worth about one and a half million in terms of tickets and commercial agreements, mm -hmm. things like that. So if the games were played behind closed doors and there's a loss of about nine million, um, how how concerned are you about the club's finances or do you, uh, given that they were sort of heading for a profit this year, that they've got so many 
saleable assets, if you want to talk about it in a cold way, in, in terms of the players that they've got in the squad. How worried are you or do you think that the, the steps and, and the people that are at the top of the club can sort of be trusted in this situation? I think um, we are lucky in the fact that Norwich, that obviously we don't have any debts, we don't have any sort of long-term investment issues and we are run by a really great bunch of people who know what they're doing. And this is a, a, a situation that nobody could have foreseen, um, but we've probably got the best people working at the club to deal with it. Um, it is going to, whatever happens, there is, I mean, it is, I was looking at some of the stuff yesterday and there is, there is no good outcome here. Whatever happens, clubs are going to lose money. They're going to lose a lot of money. And that's all clubs are going to lose money. Whatever happens, because like you say, if it's played behind closed doors, they haven't, they're not going to get that money that they would get for a normal match day. There's probably going to be delays to um, next season that's going to have a financial impact because of this financial financial impact. If you do want to sell players, are you going to get as much money for them? So I think across the footballing board, you know, things, finances are going to be hit and things are going to be difficult. And it will be difficult for Norwich. But I think, like I said, we're such a well-run club that we'll probably be able to deal with it, whatever happens. Yeah, that 1.5 million a game, I don't, I'm not... 100% 100% sure on this. I've not had this confirmed by the club, but I guess it wouldn't be drastically different in the championship because Norwich's pr- ticket prices have been frozen for what is, uh, I think it's an eighth season next year. So um, I guess some commercial deals would drop being outside of the Premier League, but you're still going to be talking about a big figure. But overall, Lorne, I suppose the, the, uh, the big issue with that is this is difficult for Norwich because they're bottom of the Premier League. And before this even kicked off, they had to worry about basically disappearing off a financial cliff when you when you go back to the championship. Yeah, but as Terry said, we're such a well-run club that I think actually of all the clubs at the moment, Norwich are in one of the best positions they can be in because I think we were probably preparing for a return to the championship behind the scenes in terms of financials. And one of the things that we we would have had had we been relegated or not relegated was a lot of our players this year were going to be real saleable assets that we didn't need to sell, but possibly would have attracted some fairly big bids. And I think the situation now is such that we'll come out of this in better financial shape than a lot of clubs. Sure, we'll be in worse financial shape than we would have been, but compared to your Aston Villas of this world, we'll be in much better shape than them. And other clubs won't now be able to afford to buy our star assets. So Emmy, Ben Godfrey, Max Allens, etc., etc., I think we're all much more likely to stick around for another season. So in a weird way, this has kind of been good for Norwich, even if we do get relegated. Like I think, yes, every club will lose out, but we're so well run. And I trust Stuart Webber, Ben Kensel, Zoe, that whole team. I trust them to just get it exactly right. Well, not exactly right, but to get it pretty right each time. So I don't think, for as a Norwich fan, the financial concerns are anywhere near as big as they are for other clubs. And of course, Dortmund won't be able to afford to bring Zimbo back either. Absolutely not. No, or take Farker <laughs> off our hands. <laughs> Quite. Um, right, well, let me just, before we move on, I just wanted to read a little bit of the club's statement on the refunds. I should, you know, go head to um, canaries.co.uk, the club's official website, for all your details of the refunds. Uh, I believe more on that is is due to come in, in the next few days or, or weeks in terms of exactly how you get your refunds and the club will be making contact with season ticket holders or whatever you are, a, a member. Um, but just to the, the final part of their statement about it said, all supporters impacted will be entitled to a refund with the club committed to ensuring that those affected do not miss out financially. 
the club estimates that approximately 36,000 supporters will be impacted. All at Norwich City would like to thank supporters for their patience during what appears uh, what remains an uncertain and ever-changing situation. We continue to ask that supporters stay safe and follow the government guidelines surrounding COVID-19. So that's the refunds out there. We'll find out more about that. But let's come on to player health. We had Darren Eady on the pod last week. who spoke very strongly about that and about how he wanted the PFA to stick up more for players. We'd already heard from Stuart Webber, I think what was that two weeks before that, on on how they um, were very um, aware of the need to get these things right in terms of player health. So this week we've got a bit of a schedule put in place. This is from BBC Sport, which lays things out quite well. In that uh, Wednesday of this week, the PFA and the LMA, the League Managers Association, are due to consult with their members. Um, Stuart Webber told us the other week that Tim Closer is the PFA representative for Norwich, uh, but Grant Hanley, I, I, I'm sure, would be involved in that as well as, as club captain. Um, then on Thursday, there's meetings between the Premier League and the PFA and LMA about those medical protocols. There's also a government level, the Culture Secretary will meet the football authorities. So, that, so the next couple of days, um, as we sit here and record, are going to be very important in Project Restart and whether football is going to be able to come back in June. Then the next Premier League shareholders meeting is Monday, 18th of May, which is when, which is the date that was circulated as Project Restart planning for clubs to be able to start group training like we've seen in Germany in recent weeks, you know, breaking off into individual groups, still um, observing social distancing as as closely as possible. And then by the end of the month, 25th of May is when UEFA have set a deadline for leagues to finalise their plans for restarted seasons. So, Chris, we've had a bit from Richard Masters. Um, and this all came out yesterday. Um, a bit of running on pinkin.com in terms of he's saying that they need to follow the emerging science, the data that's coming out about COVID-19. They're learning about it all the time. Um, where do you stand on the player safety element of all this? Because I think, it, again, it's not easy but we we possibly just need a bit of patience, the same as me and you do about going back to the you know the, the EDP offices in Norwich. We we have to wait for for things in that same way, don't we? Yeah, um, it's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, the players could hold all of this in their well manicured hands. Yeah, they could um, because uh, apart from the very real prospect of a player, I mean Brighton have had three players contract coronavirus the very real prospect of a player um, proving positive for coronavirus. What does that do? What will that do to the rest of the of football? Um, will it be a, you know, a false dawn for some? Um, and then without that health issue, you know, a direct ones, players saying, well, no, actually, newborn baby at home, young family, don't want to do it. And footballers, by the very nature, are of a certain age group. Most of them have got young families. Um, you know, they could, if footballers turn around and say, no, look, look, look we've, you slagged us off for, for keep getting paid, and now you're chucking us out as guinea pigs. <laughs> Nobody else is having this. Buses run past my house, they're empty. People are keeping away. Then, you know, footballers can, footballers can probably turn around and say, no, no don't, don't fancy it, don't trust it. Prove to me it's okay, because I've just seen a government figure that 200 more people died. But you prove yeah. to me it's okay. And and 
there's a point I want to make, but I don't want to make it now. But before this ends, there's a question I have. But um, footballers are, are, you know, it's really, really important for them now to, to consider their own health. And frankly, sod what people say about them being overpaid and, and what have you. Um, this is this is nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's it's nothing to do with a paycheck. This is about going outside. I don't like going to my local Tesco's. So, you know, it's about that. So footballers might say, nah, don't fancy it. Will yeah. it work? And, I, and I, frankly, I don't know about you, but the last time, well, I can't ever remember being tackled from behind or in the office. That never <laughs> happened. You know, I've well, never gone up for a corner in the office. I've seen shirt pulling at EDP. I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) There was that one time when I poured the cup of tea down the drain that Michael made me, wasn't there? No, no, no. Michael never made a cup of tea one time. (laughs) (laughs) Never, ever. Uh, He went in two-footed on me at the next Carrow Road uh, charity match that we played in. (laughs) (laughs) I do think think footballers, uh, you know, to me, the eyes of it all are on footballers and, and probably these next couple of days. Um, you said that the, the meetings are tomorrow. I think they are. I think there are probably meetings today, but there are so many different references. But uh, yeah, um, uh, they've, they've got a lot of responsibility on their shoulders now. Really they have um, a lot of pressure on their shoulders because yeah. of the financial elements we've already discussed. I'll, um, I'll just come to Lorne and Terry about this and then we'll, we'll have a bit of a clip from Sam Byram, who I spoke to last Thursday, I think it was. Um, <laughs> the days all sort of merge into one at the moment, yeah. don't they? Um, the on, other on this day. As a fan, I would be, I'd be so proud as a fan if uh, the Premier League said, right, we're going to restart on June the 12th. And then our squad came out and said, we're not. We're not playing. It's not safe. We're not playing. If you want to kick us out of the Premier League, kick us out of the Premier League. But we're not playing. I would, I'd love that to happen. And... And that, it goes back again to the heart of the matter, like solving the Premier League issue and saying, right, we're going to restart the Premier League. It doesn't actually solve anything because if you get if you get three clubs relegated from the Premier League, who do you promote from the Championship? You've then got to play those games. Who do you relegate from the Championship? The problem goes all the way down the pyramid. So mm. it's not worth the risk to their health for them to come out and play in order to satisfy broadcasters and um, But you, you've just solved it, summed it up. You said to solve the problem of the Premiership. Yeah, mm-hmm. summed it up. It's it's nobody else's problem. No. No. We haven't got a problem with it. We know what you should do. Exactly that. There's to carry on. Yeah. There's a very good statement that's come out in the last couple of days from the fan group of Fortuna Düsseldorf in Germany, and they've said, look, this isn't a problem for us as fans. As far as we're concerned, the season is done. The integrity is gone. This is a problem for the product of the Bundesliga and the product of football in terms of sponsorship and TV de- deals, and that. That isn't a problem in terms of, for, for the fans, that isn't a problem. So for me, no. the, if the players say, no, we're not playing, this is not safe. If I can't go and see my four-year-old grandkid, or if my grandparents can't come and see their uh, grandkids, then I'm not going out and like marking a player at a corner where we stood on each other's feet. It's, it's a nonsense. Mm. Just I, to play- I, yeah, I I agree with that as well. I think the the fans, we all miss football. We all miss f- football really badly. But what we miss about football is going to games and being with our friends and supporting our team. Yeah. That's what we miss. We don't miss behind closed doors, neutral venue football. That's like a dead game to us. And as Lorne, you know, as we were saying earlier, we have these really likeable players. We like our players. 
we don't want them putting their lives at risk and their families' lives at risk by playing football when it doesn't need to be played just to fulfil some contract with some overseas broadcasters. I mean, we, I don't care about that. I'd rather our players were safe. It feels a bit to me like uh, like a Roman gladiator sort of sense of go out there and entertain us. And if you die, then that's part of the entertainment. And we've paid you the money, so go and entertain us. That is, I don't want that to happen. Stay at home. Don't play. Keep yourself safe. That's a cracking analogy. And I think that, that you can take that on almost in that the players could actually have problems legally. That might be the issue for them is that they could void their contracts, couldn't they? If, if the government have, uh, have approved the authorities and they've said it is safe to play and they've done you know everything they can to assure the players that they can, but the players then refuse to do it then I guess they could potentially leave themselves in even more financial problems. So, uh, and yeah, that's where the PFA have to come in, don't they? They're, they're the union yeah. for the players. It's up to yep. them to stand up and say, like, on behalf of the players, that's why you have unions. That's why everyone should be in a union at the moment. Well, everyone should be in a union all the time, but everyone should be in a union <laughs> at the moment for, for that exact reason. Like, you, you, have, you have choices as a human whether or not you do something. But as Darren Eady said last week, the PFA's power is a bit negligible isn't it because they're funded by the Premier League it's difficult to see them taking that stand it's I think we've just laid out here that a, a fair bit of patience and understanding needs to be afforded to players because they do have a lot of expectation a lot of pressure a lot of difficult decisions and let's remember you know we're talking about you know for instance I'm just pl- plucking someone out of the air Max, Max Aarons is a 20 year old lad who you know 18 months ago hadn't even made his first team debut or a little bit more than that, whatever. And now he's got this sort of once-in-a-lifetime huge decision to make. So I think it's I, I think ev- everyone has got to yeah afford them a little bit of um, breathing space almost. But let's hear from one of them. Let's hear from Sam Byram, who um, told us separately to the this clip that I'm going to play you that he is closing on fitness. He was injured uh, in uh, the Liverpool game in February, uh, damaged his hamstring, needed surgery, but this suspension weirdly has helped him out a little bit and that he's now getting close to full fitness. And if they do return to training uh, next week, he may be able to involve, I guess you would describe it as light training to start with um, and maybe even could uh, be fit enough to play in the games, depending on what his progress is. But here is what Sam said about the players' concerns. I think that would probably be the main worry of a lot of, a lot of the lads is a lot of newborn babies or babies that are due. Um, I know other people have circumstances that maybe someone in the family is a, a high-risk um, person. So it's not just us that we've got to think about. You know, everyone's got, say, three family members they live with, and obviously 25 players in in a team in a squad. You're then in contact with everyone else who's in contact with them. Um, so obviously, yeah, like I mentioned, if if people are saying it's safe to do so, I think there'll always be. Um, people who are wary because you know you care about the people you live with and you don't want anything to happen to them um but i think it's down to you know people that are in charge if they're putting the, the steps in place and we can see that it's effective and that it is safe and i'm sure me and, and all the other players you know we want to get back and play so as quick as we can do that safely then we're better from true crime to football brexit to folklore for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Right, one of the Norwich players could be in action on Sunday, though. Philip Heiser 
is on loan in Bundesliga 2 with Nuremberg. And you mentioned Germany, Lorne. They um, come back this weekend. So that that is uh, on Sunday away to St Pauli, uh, 12.30 kickoff. So uh, I'm not sure if that will be streamed on YouTube or I, I presume it won't be on BT because they'll be showing the Bundesliga games rather than the second tier games. But there could weirdly, in amongst all this conversation we're having, be a Norwich City player of a kind uh, being in action this weekend. So Germany, Lorne, is is one that we're going to be watching like hawks, aren't we? Because already there have been some positive tests and it's it's they're gonna they're the guinea pigs really, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, that's the plan at the moment to go ahead this weekend. And they they're planning on going ahead without Dresden, who are now self-isolating for two weeks. So the plan is for Dresden to catch up when they can, I guess. It will be interesting to see what happens in Germany because they obviously have had a much lower rate of infection and death rate than we've had in the UK. So they're sort of further along the journey, if you like. They they handled it more effectively. But the fact the fact remains, whether they play it behind closed doors or not, as we've seen this week, if players get sick, then that throws the whole schedule out of whack anyway. So it will be interesting to see. I'll I'll definitely be watching because as well as a Norwich fan, I'm a St. Pauli fan. So I'll be watching <laughs> on Sunday if they, if they play the game. But I, I what happened before the lockdown when they played a couple of games behind closed doors? I, I watched those on TV. And after about five minutes, I, I got bored because it was like watching a training session. So I intend or not, I watch all. Yeah, well, St. Pauli, is that, why do you support St. Pauli? <laughs> so St. Pauli are a really radical uh, football club. They're very much anti-racism, anti-homophobia, very egalitarian, and they're less concerned about winning and more concerned about representing their community and standing for something more than just, oh, we we beat uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf 2-0 at the weekend, aren't we great? So. Uh, and also, having been to watch them a couple of times, the the match day experience of watching football in Germany is so much more enjoyable than watching it here. So oh, yeah, for reasons. They're one of the clubs that do the big murals and stuff. I suppose there's, there's a lot of that in German football, aren't there? Um, oh, interesting stuff. So yeah, we'll find out um, how that gets on. Um, I think there's going to be a few more like that. Cameron Jerome is still playing in Turkey. They're supposed to be back in action. Uh, in June, um, I guess the, the A-League in Australia may well be back soon enough because Australia and New Zealand seem to be moving in the right direction as far as the pandemic is concerned. So Wes may well be back in action with the Newcastle Jets. There's there's going to be things like that popping up in recent weeks. Um, Terry, I'm going to give you something to get your teeth uh, to get your teeth into here. Uh, we we dared to publish some Paul Lambert quotes yesterday <laughs> on the Pinkham website. <laughs> Um, who had spoken to uh, the Guardian? Now, it's uh, we're our colleagues in Suffolk uh, are sort of on standby, waiting for uh, League One and League Two to be voided, to be cancelled for the season. Uh, well, sorry, not necessarily voided, but the the season to be brought to a conclusion, and then I guess they'll work out how that the, the final table will stand. But Ipswich, they lost the last four games before the break. They sent down to tenth, I think, seven points adrift. So they're going to stay down. But here's what Lambert told the Guardian. Um, he said, "I think football will change for the better. We should see the reversal of a power balance that swung the wrong way for too long." switching it back in favour of the clubs. And he goes on to basically say that um, agents won't have as much power, that the finances will be a bit tighter, and that he almost comes across a little bit as if um, he's maybe a little bit resentful of modern football in some ways in, in the amount uh, of influence that money has. 
Um, I don't know if you saw them in full, but sort of the gist of what Lambert's saying there, could you could you take? I know this is a dangerous thing to say at the moment, but could you could you almost sympathise with him? Um, I don't know. Sympathise might be going a little bit too far. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, obviously, the trouble with Lambert is he just has come across as a bit of bitter person for a few seasons now because mm. his uh, career has gone downwards. Though I think he's making some interesting points. I mean, we mentioned it earlier that you know the football finances are going to be affected across the board by this, and it is going to affect um, players' fees. That's going to affect players' agents. So there is definitely going to be a shift. Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we're talking about completing the Premier League. Obviously, lower down in the League One and League Two, the best thing for them financially is just to finish the season now. Um, A lot of those clubs down there are in massive debt. They don't make a lot of money from from the games. It's easy for them just to to quit quit the season and then start again afresh next year. Um, I, so, yeah, I think there's some interesting points that uh, Paul Lambert's making there. Um, I don't know if it's going to shift as much as he may be possibly hoping. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, there's just going to be less money around. There's going to be less money around from the clubs are going to have less money to spend on players. Therefore, agents are going to get less money coming in from fees. But we'll, I think it's a long way to go yet to see how it's actually going to affect the game in the long term. Yeah, but interesting to hear him come out with that sort of thing. I mean, it was an interesting piece in The Guardian overall, actually. They had a few uh, current managers. I mean, Darren Eady actually mentioned it as well last week, Lorne, in terms of hoping that football could come out of this with some positives. Can can you see any potential silver linings? It's the same with sort of wider society again. And, you know, we've heard the government talking about putting money into cycling and and greener technologies and things like this. And as we sit here today, it's like, yeah, great, that's... It would be great to think that we return to some sort of better life. But I just have a feeling that once the, you know, the vaccine arrives or whatever, we can return to some form of life as it was before, that within weeks, people will just go back to behaving how they were. And I, I think football will probably be the same. Yeah, I think it. I think you're probably right. It would be nice to think that some of these sort of gains that have, have been made in terms of people going out and exercising more uh, air quality and stuff improving will be continued. But I think you also like the people will probably go back to behaving how they did beforehand. I think Lambert is right in many ways. I think there will be a slight redistribution of wealth and a slight rebalancing, maybe not at the very top where you've got your Liverpools and your Manchester Cities and potentially now your Newcastles who are awash with money from uh, overseas. But yeah, I think there will be a couple of clubs, uh, Aston Villa being one who possibly have overspent at the wrong time and see themselves plummet down the divisions and similarly there'll be some well-run clubs from lower down the leagues who can potentially start to rise up again so it'll it'll be really interesting to watch from afar as to what happens next Um, I don't think we'll see a huge shift what we might see and what might be interesting is this might be the the thing where the gang of six if you like who are holding the Premier League to ransom by not wanting to be relegated they, they might force uh, the big clubs to go off and do their European Super League. And we might see the likes of Liverpool, Man United and stuff go off and, and form mm. that. As a fan, I would, I'd like that because I'm, I, I don't care for those as clubs. I don't like the way that the Premier League is basically two divisions in one. One set of clubs trying not to get relegated, one set of clubs not trying not to win the league. So if it made English football more competitive again, that would be a great thing for me. 
I see there's been a few fears about P, uh, about B teams popping up again and they in the lower leagues if the clubs do go out and restructuring. I know I see in Scotland they've now decided not to restructure, haven't they, at the moment? But yeah, this is gonna we're gonna talk about the coronavirus suspension for years. It's gonna have a, a major impact on on football. We're gonna talk about it in terms of uh historical importance for years to come. Um Chris, um we despite there being no football, we we still continue to be pretty busy <laughs> don't we um, oh, yes. <laughs> and, and one of the uh, a couple a couple of pieces uh, just before we started recording you were webbing a few comments from from john ruddy who spoke to one of the nationals but also you you had a chat with you and roberts recently didn't you i did <laughs> you and who informed me he said uh, are you working from home i said yeah i'm sitting here at my desk he said i'm just laying on the sofa mate <laughs> cheers <laughs> <Jim>. <laughs> Who is an absolute... T- I think he's still... You know what? That bloke is as fit as a butcher's dog. He, he He's... I think he's sort of more fit than he was when he played. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. He, he certainly looks leaner, um, but he's um, he's one of those players who's really taken to work in the media so well. And we had a good long chat. And, and he's not the sort who'll just answer your question with... You know, you've got your, your in your head what you think this story might be. But he's, he's not the sort to just give you the answer so you got a story. He'll he'll rattle it around a lot and he'll debate it and this. And we were talking about um, pre-season and whether um, this sort of pre-season that football clubs might have before resumption is sufficient. Because I've got this, this, this picture on my head of players resuming and they're not fit enough, match fit enough, and they'll drop like nine pins. And and uh, there'll be people, you know, 10 minutes in, there's half a dozen players going down with hammies. Mm. I've just got this feeling that, that it's not enough. And and I've looked at, I've wiped it now, but I did count up how many pre-season games they had last year and what sort of time span. And obviously... It's they're a not month, gonna, isn't it? Yeah. But, but, but in a normal summer, you know, you have your rest, you come back, you have your testing... Then you have a couple of warm-ups, you know, probably go off to, to Lowestoft or Kingsland Town or something. And then you go on a bit of a tour. Then you come back and you end with your showpiece. None of that. So I don't know how fit players are going to be. And we knocked this around quite a bit, me and Ewan. Um, and we didn't really come to a conclusion. We weren't sure. Uh, he did make a very good point. And my mind went straight to Darren Huckabee. But he made a point that footballers now are mega fit. And mm. and I think, as he said, fit all the time. Now, Hux was like that. Hux was as fit in the middle of summer as any other player would have been in the, at his peak in the season. And I think a lot of players now are like Hux was, <laughs> probably not as he is now, um, and, and they're, they're super fit. So hopefully that won't cause a problem because if fitness and match fitness, the lack of, if that's an issue... Well, mm, that's 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 really dangerous for footballs. We just flipped it a, 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 around, I'm afraid. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Hux... original point chatting to you and always so refreshing. Brilliant man. He's a legend, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he is. I think Hux... legend in more ways than one. Yeah. The 10k times for Hux are still pretty good by the looks of his social media posts. <laughs> when we used to go to Colney and he was playing, he'd wander around before they went out training. And I look, and there was nothing on his legs apart from muscle, and his ankles looked were tiny. Yeah. And 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 he, he had all sorts of strapping here and there. I think this is why he never went into uh, non-league football afterwards, 
because he would have been one hell of a trophy from some of the thugs I see play. Um, But uh, yeah, super fit, fit as a butcher's. The biggest thing holding him back was his hair, probably. That probably gave him the most air friction. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, the players, they've got to be fit for their Instagram pictures, haven't they? They've got to be able to uh, show that they're uh, doing all their training. um, Yeah, whatever happened to juggling with toilet rolls, by the way? Or running that mouse old heath. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, they've all been still been keeping fit haven't they? I guess they've yeah. probably been keeping themselves at sort of 80% fit haven't they um, if you want to draw some sort of uh, furlough out, comparison yeah mm. keeping themselves going and uh, <laughs> you you just have to hope that they can get up because God, how depressing is that going to be as a you know if you're a Sam Byron you manage to get fit and then their second game back his hamstring goes because he's not fully fit how depressing is that going to be for a player really really difficult so yeah. yeah that's out there there's loads to get your teeth into at ping.com I also had a chat with Robert Earnshaw at the back end of last week we put that as a, out as a podcast so um, do give that a listen that's interesting we've got a little bit of stuff from uh, Phil Mulrine and Malky Mackay on the on the way which is courtesy of Paul McVeigh um, who's been uh, doing a bit of fundraising through having chats with former teammates yeah. so keep an eye on the, on our websites for sort of the Norwich angles from that um, but I think that'll that'll just about do for this week. Um, Terry, um, how how have you been sort of coping with your lockdown? What's what's your big tip for uh, sort of staying sane during lockdown? Um, I'm I'm quite lucky in that I've actually got an allotment, so Ooh. um, oh. an allotment in state sanctioned. So on a nice sunny day, I can go up there and potter about for a couple of hours, and uh, that's definitely what's been keeping me sane. That and the Very fact nice. that you can get takeout beer from the pub. <laughs> very nice yeah oh, our local chitty opened up a couple of weeks ago obviously socially distanced you have to order and there's a collection time and things like that but that just felt like the biggest treat um yeah. to be able to have uh have, have fish and chips was lovely um, and we had to order it a couple of days beforehand to get it as well but um but yeah thanks very much for coming on terry lawney um lockdown for yourself any big tips uh i guess my well the biggest thing that i found was i couldn't differentiate between daytime work and nighttime relaxing so I just went from looking at one screen to another one so <laughs> might be get a routine and work in a different room to you relaxing yeah I'm sick of watching telly now like <laughs> I never thought I'd get to that point I thought it'd be great to binge on a load of stuff but I just I'm just bored of watching tv now and just uh, also <laughs> along come Norwich um have you guys been able to sort of keep doing anything I think you still sort of have been sending out some merch and things like that haven't you yeah, a little bit. So we've got some badges on sale on the site at the moment with the proceeds of that going to the Norwich City Community Sport Foundation. Um, Fantastic. We're currently in the process of putting together the third printed fanzine. So John Punt, who I do it with, has been doing a lot of work on that. And yes, yeah, it's, it's been sort of ticking over. We've done a couple of podcasts. We actually had Ewan on a couple of weeks ago and he was brilliant. So we've done a little bit, but obviously the thing that we kind of we do it all for, the atmosphere is, is completely gone and is, is going to be uh, off the table for a while so we're doing little bits and pieces and if people have something that they want to say to the world then we're still we're still here we're still working we're still putting pieces up uh but yes yeah, it's, it's gone quiet well good work i hope you and and terry and all the other fans are able to lay out some flags again at some point but i think we're gonna have to be a bit patient on that front and um, thank you both very much for joining us thanks very much chris of course um no we'll keep We'll keep bringing you as much as we can at pinkin.com, as much of the 
reliable and up-to-date information that we can. As I said at the top of the show, you can also hear us on Wednesday nights on Future Radio 107.8 FM. If you don't already subscribe to the pod, then please do. And any ratings or reviews are always very welcome. Uh, Look after yourselves, stay safe, and we will catch up with you again very soon.